0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: We are joined by Professor Joel Ostro, who specializes in political science and has a special expertise in Russia. We've been talking about the war in Ukraine. And yes, I I agree with you. uh, Things we communicated during the commercial break. There was a huge snub recently, Mikhail Gorbachev well died and from what i understand vladimir putin refused to allow his body to lie in state and basically just sort of dissed him what how does that get vladimir putin brownie points who is who is he playing to or is it just his own animosity working its way out
2: Can I answer that question indirectly with a nice little story? Sure. Uh,
1: We love stories.
2: uh, I, in the late 1980s, early 90s, uh, was a Moscow correspondent accredited to Cranes Communications, primarily advertising age, but I wrote for all of the Cranes publications while I was there. Uh, And there was some conference on the advertising industry that was being held, and boy, it's so embarrassing. It was a long time ago. Uh, The matriarch, whatever her name was, uh, of the Crane family and business uh, was there. And there was a a dinner, a long dinner table, and I was uh, tapped to be her guide and translator uh, for her few days in Moscow. Sitting next to me, On my left, um, so she was on my right, and on my left, so we're talking like 1989, 1990, right? Um, Still the Soviet Union uh, was a young woman, I don't know her name, she was maybe in her early 20s, purple, uh, crew cut hair, piercings, tattoos, uh, really hip. And that morning came the announcement that Gorbachev was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And so Mrs. Crane wanted to know, uh, uh, for, the, for the Russians there to describe their excitement over such a great, uh, tremendous historical happening, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Smile. And I turned to the woman on my left, and uh, the best translation... I can give is, she wants to know what the hell you think about Gorbachev getting the Nobel Prize. Because <laughs> I already knew just by looking at her what she was going to say. I, this is a great Can you tell me what you said? I said, oh, I just said, you, you want to know how you feel about this wonderful achievement of Gorbachev winning the Nobel Prize. And she just open, opens her eyes real wide, but sad, and just says, "At the kashmar, which means it's a nightmare. And so wow. the train no, right? And there was gorby mania here. And I just turned him. as she said, it's a nightmare. And <laughs> just went ashen white. I mean, she was probably, what, 83, 84 at the time? Ghost white. Complete and total inability to understand. And then she was like, how could she say such a thing? And I turned, Grandma wants to know why. <laughs> Is what I said. I have never told the story exactly like this before, but but I also liked this young woman on my left, and and she kind of chuckled at that, and then she started to talk about all of the terrible things that had happened in the country. Now, obviously, it was a contradiction. Right here was this woman who, number one, could freely speak; number two, could live her genuine self right? The punked out hair, the piercings, the tattoos, the the stylish clothes. Pursue a career that was never possible before. And yet, confronted with the question of, what do you think of this guy being honored globally? The country was falling apart. Mm. He could stand in line for three hours, hoping to get cheese, And a dairy shop at the end of that, but probably when you got to the end of the line, all the cheese would be gone. You would have stand stood in line for three hours for nothing. The problem with Gorbachev, and it was understandable, but he wasn't decisive enough for the hardliners, and he wasn't decisive enough for the reformists. He was trying to keep himself in the center and in power. That's part A. I know this is a long answer, and I'm really sorry, but part B. That's okay. Gorbachev had these goals. As leader of the Soviet Union, he wanted to strengthen the Soviet Empire. He wanted to strengthen the Russian economy. And he wanted to strengthen communist rule and the Communist Party in Russia. And what he got was a dissolved empire, a dissolution of the country, and a ruined economy. By every standard, it's only fair to judge a leader on his or her own terms. On Gorbachev's own terms? He was one of the most spectacular political failures in human history.
1: Huh. So nobody's going to be uh, offended that Putin didn't honor him um, with more um, state pomp and circumstance.
2: And yet what really surprised me was the number of people, including young people, who who went to his private funeral at the Novodevichy Monastery, which is, by the way, where Khrushchev, in disgrace, was was interred, who also didn't get state uh, recognition. It's a beautiful uh, uh, cemetery, um, artists and, and, you know, uh, writers, intelligentsia there. It, it is still an, an honor to be there, but he is not uh, buried in the Kremlin. But there were Tens of thousands of people there, and showing up was a sign of protest. Uh, Mm -hmm. There were moments of silence that everyone understood as a protest both against uh, the hardline authoritarian rule of Putin and the war in Ukraine. Uh, Gorbachev was not a fan of Putin or what Putin was doing to the country before his final illness. Um, Never spoke out enough, but... That's consistent with his entire personality uh, and his leadership style in the end. Uh, Putin uh, has cast himself as undoing the catastrophe that Gorbachev was uh, and, and has staked his whole rise to power on the promise to do that um, and, and you know has, has in many ways followed through on that by restoring some elements of censorship Um, brutal one-party rule, lack of opposition, um, and for a while there did bring some economic uh, prosperity, even though grotesque inequality, but who are we Americans to complain about another state's grotesque inequality or corruption? Mm -hmm. Um, They had those things, uh, largely based on energy exports and lumber, timber exports, resources Mm -hmm. exports.
1: We need to take a break, and... When we come back, I want to talk to you about these reports that the whole war was premised on uh, Vladimir Putin's spies giving him bad intel. Now we're reading about people falling out of windows. And apparently this most recent guy isn't the first mysterious death um, of a, of a Russian person purportedly in a position of power i'm talking to benedictine university professor joel Ostro, who's an expert on russia we're going to take a break and come back with more after this
0: stay on top of the latest news in and around chicago with joan esposito live local and progressive every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m on wcpt 820 Driving at home with Patty Vasquez. weeknights from 5 to 6 p.m. On WCPT 820. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: I'm speaking with Professor Joel Ostro from Benedictine University. He has an area of expertise on Russia. He has studied the country for many years and um do you recall a time and all the time you've studied russia where so many business executives seem to be falling out of windows and finding other ways to get into accidents and and basically their lives are are over um so what's going on with that
2: i could tell you another really funny story but i'll spare it
1: Oh please oh please tell us come on
2: well Okay, fine. Uh, So uh, I started my grad career at Berkeley after that stint in Moscow working for Cranes. Uh, I got to Berkeley, California um, in the middle of the coup against Gorbachev in August of uh, 1991. And uh, uh, I had a new grad school colleague uh, who is now a professor at Clark University, uh, and because I was still writing stories, uh, I managed to convince the cable company to hook up my cable um, basically the same day I got the keys to the apartment, right? That's unprecedented. <laughs> and I got to see him and uh, I told this new colleague, friend of mine, Valerie Sperling, a brilliant uh, scholar is her name, uh, and she came over and, you know, we were watching the news around the clock. And... Uh, uh, The CNN correspondent, whose name I can't remember at the time, uh, stately African-American gentleman, I'm sure you remember who I'm talking about. Uh, This just in, KGB chief, uh, Victor Pugo, and Valerie and I turn to each other, dead. And he says, dead. Uh, Wow. After the coup failed. And this is a standard uh, approach, of suicides uh, it, for some reason. And she and I were joking about this the other day because I said to expect some people starting to jump out of windows. And she said, no, if it was going to happen, it would have been happening already. Uh, sure enough, uh, the next day, uh, this guy jumps out of the window. Uh,
1: well, well, though, did he really jump? Up. I mean, he was no. supposedly in a hospital after yeah. just having had a heart attack. Uh, You know, do you think he had some help?
2: We're never going to know specifically in his case. Uh, But let's not isolate on him. We can talk about Daria Dugan, the daughter of uh, Alexander Dugan. Um, There was some really lousy and universally lousy reporting about who that guy was, is. Uh, He's not Putin's brain. He's not Putin's ideological master. He doesn't have the ear of Putin any more than whoever the head of the Democratic Socialists of America has Biden's ear. And that
1: was the daughter who got blown up when she was driving her dad's car.
2: Correct. Uh, He's a critic of Putin for not unleashing enough of a war against Ukraine. Hmm. Maybe that's... But the circumstances of her death, and the follow-up have all the earmarks of the FSB, the successor to the KGB, as do most of what has been called suicides. Tell me, okay, so the rationale given is these rich guys are being sanctioned and losing their toys, so they're killing themselves. That's plausible, right? Tell me why they're killing their daughters and sons and wives and mothers Mm at this that's KGB, and most of these involve wiping out entire families. Ugh. And even if that were to happen once, a murder suicide. The numbers of these among wealthy intellectuals. Oh, I'm sorry, it it doesn't stretch credul- credulity. This is these are not suicide. So the state is involved. The Kremlin is involved. That KGB, the FSB is involved. Period. End of story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, I wanted to also ask you, I was reading a few weeks ago an article that to me kind of seemed like it came out of left field, where it said that the reason Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine was because his, all of his spies gave uh, him bad information. He had bad information, but it was specifically directed at his spy network. I thought that was kind of an odd thing. I mean, were we are we looking for a scapegoat, or what was what was the point of that? I mean, obviously, people are saying, you know, we're saying for a while, well, you know, his generals, uh, the ones who said, oh, well, we'll do, we'll do this in a week or two, gave him bad information. But I guess now we're looking at the spy network. That that's where the problem. Was what did you think of that?
2: Well, you're right, Joe. I mean, we've been talking about this since I was first on with you shortly after the invasion on February 24th. Uh, particularly when things started to go sour for the Russian forces, what made them think that Ukraine would not resist? What made them think Ukraine didn't have the means? And more specifically, in the failure of intelligence, was the will to resist. Uh, Fear. A system based on fear and censorship and denial of any opposition leads to misinformation. And they're self-reinforcing. Putin clearly wanted to expand Russian control in Ukraine. Who's going to tell him anything (laughs) that will dissuade him from that goal? Yeah. And just what we were just talking about tells you the consequences of doing that. The consequences of, as Putin would phrase it, going against the Russian state, which we should translate as disagreeing with Putin, is exile to Siberia and hard labor, or worse, death to you and your family members. This is no secret. This has been going on since 2000 when he came to power.
1: Well when you when you put it like that (laughs) and he wants.
0: This
2: Mm -hmm. is this is the in this is weapons of mass destruction in Iraq on heavy steroids. Because the counter information happened to be there and the Bush administration chose to ignore it. This time the counter information wasn't even there. Although the intelligence community certainly knows it, none of that was getting to Putin because the consequences of feeding that information to Putin were catastrophic. But don't tell me the FSB did not know that Ukraine would resist. Don't tell me that the FSB didn't know that the will to resist would be uncompromising, fierce, and potentially disastrous for Russia. I will never believe that. Hmm. Never. It just didn't get to Putin. There's a big difference there.
1: <laughs> for, apparently for
2: good reason. Um, it's we, a failure of dictatorship, not a failure of intelligence. Yeah.
1: When we come back after the next break, one of the um, aspects of this whole situation that I see evolving, and I, I want to get your take on it, it seems to be essentially the rest of the world turning against Russia. So Russia turning to Iran, turning to North Korea, and particularly seeming to cozy up to China, and I want to get your take on that and what the long-term implications might be. I'm talking to Professor Joel Ostrow from Benedictine University. We are going to be back with more right after this.
0: Now you can see and interact with Jonas Posido live during the show. Log on to facebook.com/slash wcpt820 and be a part of the progressive movement. Wcpt live, local, and progressive. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I'm talking with Professor Joel Ostro of Benedictine University. He's an expert on Russia, and he just let me know that he has a little bit more to say about our previous topic before we move on to another. Go ahead, Joel.
2: We were just talking about the consequences of dictatorship Mm -hmm. and Russia has become. Uh, The President gave, the President of the United States, President Biden gave a marvelous speech on Thursday. Uh, And what I described should serve as as a warning uh, to what the President referred to as MAGA Republicans. Uh, The Republican Party is controlled by an extremist, violent, anti-democratic, neo-fascist majority. They're not a minority, at least among the elected, and the people keep electing them. And something like 80% of Republicans still support those folks. And the misinformation and the labeling of the media as enemies of the people or enemies of the state, a Stalinist phrase, um, and on and on. Uh, and, and I don't need to recite the whole litany uh, to your listeners. Um, But we need a consistent and cautionary message in this country. I applaud President Biden for for that clarity, and he needs to keep on it, and people need to push back against those who uh, continue to purvey uh, those anti-democratic attitudes, which includes denial of facts and and science and just basic uh, information.
1: Joe Biden got a lot of positive press uh, for that speech, even though, of course, Republicans uh, took him to task as, you know, he could say hello and they would they would do that. But I think that's that kind of calling it the way it is, the way everybody else knows that it is, is something that people are really hungry for. They want somebody who will tell the truth. ...about things exactly. and not be politically exactly. careful the way so many politicians seem to want to be. God forbid I should offend anyone, so I'll end up saying nothing about anything important. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think, it was, I think it was critical.
2: I wish the president would, uh, and, and maybe he will, find a middle line, because I think he, he, his initial comments were, as I have done on your show before, attack the whole Republican Party. But he's in a slightly different position than I am, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I seem to have walked it back too far, because the MAGA Republicans are not a minority in the party. It's like an 80% majority. And I'd like to find him settle in a way that asks former mainstream Republicans to look in the mirror and to switch on their ears. And to really listen to what is being said and what the consequences are and to try to lure some of those mainstream Republicans, which will be hard. We're not talking about independence, to understand the consequences of Republican victories, MAGA Republican victories, and and to take a gulp and return to their past. And their past would dictate they need for one election round to support the democrats to wipe out that extremism because the republican party is supposed to be a conservative party it is not it is an extremist neo-fascist party that promotes violence right now i think
1: i think you're asking for a lot i think you might be asking for more than the current makeup of the republican party can provide i wish i wish it were true i wish we could count on you know people of good conscience to step up and say, hey, this is wrong. But I, I think if they had the backbone to do that, Joel, they would have done it by now.
2: Pretty consistent, hard messaging between now and Election Day. And no. and if there's enough of that, if it just sways a couple, I mean, Congress hangs in the balance, which in some ways means our democracy hangs in the balance,
1: yeah. perhaps. Very so, true. Very forward true. Very true. And I wanted to ask you, before I let you go today, about the um, increased warmth, the increased friendliness that seems to be taking place between Russia and China. Do you agree with me that that's happening? And if so, do you see it as problematic for the future?
2: Well, Putin and Xi are supposed to meet, uh, or maybe they already are, uh, and so that becomes news. And then the news reports it as a warming up of relations. Uh, So far, uh, China is navigating a very difficult uh, sort of middle position. Uh, They have not supplied arms to Russia. There's a reason Russia is going to North Korea and Iran. China is not providing them weapons. Why is China not providing them weapons? Because the consequences... For China's access to Western markets, if they did, would be catastrophic. And ultimately, what China cares about is China. And China cares about China's economic stability, and they're still in COVID trouble. So I would would not...
1: Potentially losing that access to foreign markets, would that keep China out of Taiwan?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I hope so.
1: Because everybody was saying at the beginning that they were watching what what the West did with um, Russia and Ukraine as a barometer of what kind of pushback they would get if they just moved in and completely took over the island of Taiwan.
2: I think the better analogy is what the West didn't do in terms of Hong Kong, what the West promised and what the West was promised and what happened. So the more likely scenario is not a military takeover like that, but but an encroachment. Piece by piece. Now, that would, but Taiwan's, it's different geographically, so it's hard to know. It's dangerous. Let's just leave it at that. It's very dangerous and unpredictable. But what is predictable is China's interest in uh, in its role in, in the global economy. So if that gets threatened, then all bets are off.
1: We're deeply invested in Chinese manufacturing, even though President Biden has said that he wants more manufacturing back in the United States. We've seen the These chip bill. Enough. Go ahead.
2: Those things aren't com- incompatible. You, you can do both at once. We can still have thriving foreign direct investment in China and work to improve manufacturing here. Why not?
1: Well, what would that what would that look like?
2: We would have some companies that would be producing stuff there and some that would be producing stuff here. Sector by sector, it might differ. Um, but why not? Whatever, you know, let, let the companies, let the market decide. I don't know. Well, are you
1: saying like produce see. the same products? Because I think one of the things we've learned <laughs> with the pandemic and, um, the regular trade routes being disrupted is that, um, it, it, um, when you are completely dependent on the manufacturing yeah. to be at another country and that ma- country cannot supply the parts, then you don't get what you want in the country of of origin. And I think, you know, the I mean, Ray and I, a few weeks ago, went to look at cars and it was mm-hmm. it was like a joke. It was the guy was mm-hmm. like, well, you can get on a wait list and maybe yeah. in eight months we'll get this car. And but you're going right. to be competing with everybody else on the wait list. And it was just like it, it was crazy.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, No doubt uh, that there have been horrible implications from the pandemic, but we still have a globalized financial uh, and trade and production uh, system that has largely worked to the benefit uh, of of innovation, uh, access, and in much of the world, um, uh, levels of development and poverty reduction that have not been realized before. Um, combating inequality is is a huge task and necessity, and needs to be a priority in globalization. And um, learning from from the over reliance on on that specialized production, uh, particularly in certain sectors, might be necessary. Uh, but we're not we can't pull entirely out of China, nor can China fully uh, pull out of the U.S. Uh, wouldn't be good for anybody. Um, and so as as the world recovers from the COVID economy, adjustments can be made. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop investing in China or that uh, China is going to stop investing here, frankly. There's too much benefit to both sides. And China is a very self-interested state, as, as we are. China's well, this- got less of a state. ideals of of globalization that are political, but when it comes to the economy, that's pretty clear where they've been for the last several decades. I don't see that changing.
1: Um, We are um, just a couple of minutes away from wrapping things up. This is the portion of our conversation where I ask you to get out your crystal ball and tell us what is going to be happening over the next few months, whether that's Ukraine or with Russia and China. I know you have um, a lot of uh, sources that you talk to and get a sometimes a better feel for what's going on than I can get from just what I read in the Washington Post. So what do you see happening over the next month or two or three or four?
2: Well, what, Joan? I didn't hear the question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Okay. How about over the next month? What's going to happen in Ukraine? Is it going to be just the same sort of situation we have now?
2: The last set of predictions I made were around Ukraine's independence and expected a huge Russian onslaught. I and everyone else predicted it, including Zelensky and the Biden administration, and it didn't happen. Yay. Uh, We did have, as I have have been suggesting, Ukraine stepping up a counteroffensive in the South. uh, And and that happened shortly after I first told you that that was coming. Yes, that's Uh, why you have to do this now. It's been pretty successful. Uh, And, uh, as I think I said then, uh, but certainly have been saying since, once Russia starts moving reinforcements to the south, Ukraine's going to start attacking again in the northeast. And guess what happened today? They uh, launched an attack and liberated from Russian control uh, a village about 50 miles south of Kharkiv, and I have yet to reach out to uh, my friend Larissa, but I'm hoping that's the village where her parents were
1: hiding uh. out.
2: That would be a happy thing. It's it, The location is right. I just can't remember the name of the town that she said. I don't know if it's the own, but I sure hope to God that it is. And uh, But if not, maybe that town will be liberated next. So they're still playing whack-a-mole and doing it with incredible precision, incredible success, and Russia keeps falling for it. Uh, <laughs> Well, almost, if it weren't so sad, it'd be funny.
1: Yeah. Thank you for your prediction, and thank you for joining us, as you always do with such great information and insight.